From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for uh, Thursday, August 8th, 2019, the 11-year anniversary of the Beijing Olympics um, getting underway and the we're basically just under a year until uh, the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. That will be here before we know it. We've got a guest on today that, I, that I've been trying to get on for a while. I'm so glad we were able to make it work from Golf Channel Digital. It is Samantha Marks. Welcome to, welcome to Teeing It Up, Samantha. Hey, what's good? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So the original reason why Samantha was going to be on is that she participated in the 2012 U.S. Women's Open, which we'll get to, and she had a whole story. And we were going to do this back in May, and then things happened and got postponed. And it, we wound up doing it now a week after one of the most remarkable days in golf in a long time with Hinako Shibuno, the 20-year-old rookie, winning the AIG Women's British Open and showing more jubilation on a golf course than I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, it was it was one of the most exciting days in golf, like you said, that we've had in a long time. One of my coworkers actually uh, happened to say that it was more exciting than Tiger winning the Masters, and I, I can't say that I totally disagree with him, you know? It was, it was absolutely electric. It's so refreshing to see a fresh face, a smiling face, emotion. Um, I mean, that's... That's why a lot of people, I mean, even men argue that women's golf is so fun to watch. Yeah. Um, you you see guys like Brooks, DJ, Rory, Tiger even, they don't really get that excited anymore. Um, the girls do, and it's fun to watch. They're more relatable. They hit the clubs around the same distance as us. Um, you know what I mean? It's it's fun to watch and she was very fun to watch she had never played a tournament in the u.s she'd never played on the lpga tour she'd never ever played a course outside of japan it was an amazing story and i think one of the things that a lot of people forget is that for someone like lizette salas who made a heck of a sunday run she's trying to kind of reboot her career she's had a tough go of it the last couple of years she's trying to get back on form um, she misses that birdie putt in the 72nd hole, but at least I think in hindsight, she will walk out of this weekend saying, okay, my game's on form. I'm going to make the Solheim cup team. I can kind of build towards the end of the season for Shibuno. She was just trying to make the cut. She was trying to get a paycheck. Everything that goes with this win is beyond her wildest dreams. And I think that's partly where that joy came from. She was playing with nothing to lose, and it paid off. Exactly. And I think, you know, we've both played competitive golf, and I find that it's, I have found that in the past, that it's when I was expecting nothing that I played the best. You know, you go into a tournament where you're like, well, I'm probably not going to play very good. I, you know, haven't been practicing well. I'm not you know, I don't like this course or whatever, that you go out there and you, you know, play really well and you surprise yourself. And that is exactly what happened to her. It, it wasn't that she didn't have talent. It wasn't that she wasn't prepared. It was that everything came together at the perfect time. And she, I mean, did you, on the on the last hole, obviously, you saw her putt. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, you have to see it. I think it was 
what, maybe 15, 20 seconds from when she walked up. And, I mean, she rammed it in the back of the hole. Like, it was the confidence, the excitement, everything was just so awesome to watch. Like, it's so hard to not have a tear in your eye watching that for her, you know? It was just, it was a really exciting moment. And it was great, great, great for women's golf. If you don't want to watch, you know, this week after that, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. And that putt goes six, seven feet by if it doesn't hit the hole, and that's the Cinderella part of it. Yeah, it might have been like 10, 12, actually. Yeah, I mean, that thing was rammed. The fact that she's she's double-jointed, it it threw me for a loop watching it. It's weird to watch, but you've played competitive golf on a big stage, which we'll get to momentarily. How how advantageous is it for her to be double jointed and why do you think or do you think at all that had any impact on why she was successful this week and could be successful going forward uh to be honest i have no idea i thought that was so weird when i first saw it. <laughs> uh brandy mel randall mel one of my uh co-workers writers at golf channel tweeted a picture of it and i was like what am i looking at right now what is yeah i mean you know what you've seen people who have you know arms like that but usually they're like cheerleaders or you know dancers or something like that and when she had her setup obviously with her hands together on the club and they were all stuck out like that i was like what in the world I, I don't know the science behind it or people say, um, you know, I was reading a little bit about it, that there is an advantage there. If there is, that's great. Um, I don't know. Obviously, it might have helped her. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's cool, I guess. I don't know. See, to me, I think it helps her own her swing. When you have capa- yeah, yeah. when you have capabilities different from somebody else, look at Daniel Berger's top, you know, uh, uh, position at top of the backswing. Look at Dustin. Look at Furyk. When you own your swing, either because that's how you grew up or, or because of some um, body either limitation or or advantage, it helps you own your swing. Versus if you're everybody else trying to have the Adam Scott perfect position swing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you can find a way to make yourself unique, I mean, you're you're definitely ahead of the game, I think. And if that's something, then that's awesome for her. We're, we're talking to Samantha Marks from Golf Channel Digital. One more thing on the women's game before we move on. As somebody who loves to watch it and, 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 and who, as you said, one of the big advantages is they play very similar to the average person on, on a weekend distance-wise – what is, what's your elevator pitch for why people should watch more LPGA golf? Because for me, my elevator pitch is every turn, I haven't seen a runaway finish in a long time. And it just seems like it's somebody else every other week. And it's somebody that if you actually sit down and watch it and get to know these people, you realize how talented, diverse, and amazing they are, and you may come into a Sunday thinking somebody's going to win, and that's not the way it turns out. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a good point to make. I think the other the other thing that's really important is these girls are they're personable. They're they're on social media. They'll you know they'll tweet back at you. They'll they look at your Instagram comments. They see your profile. They'll they'll talk to you in the crowd. It's much more of an accessible event. You're not standing 10 people deep in a crowd. If you're a fan of Lexi Thompson, you can go watch Lexi Thompson and actually see her. It's 
it's more of an experience that you can enjoy and not something that you're going to watch Tiger and you're, you'll maybe see him if you're lucky kind of a thing. Um, that's a big thing for me with watching women's golf. And one of the things that I thought was very cool growing up is that it was a more accessible kind of thing. Um, I do wish, obviously, that it would catch on and more people would go watch, but um, that's a big thing for me. And the, the, the more relatableness, um, that's not a word, but yeah. about it, about it is cool, too, because, you know, guys, most guys can't relate to hitting a 350-yard drive, but they can relate to hitting it, you know, 280. Yeah. So that's it's cool to see somebody step up to a par three and hit, you know, maybe the same iron that you would and be like, okay, yeah, that, you know, that's pretty cool. I mean, granted, it's a girl, but hey, she's professional and she knows what she's doing. So I, I've always thought that part of it was really cool, too. So those are my main things, I guess. We're talking to Samantha Marks from Golf Channel um, at Sam Marks GC on Twitter. I bring that up because, quote, as part of her Twitter bio, playing in the 2012 U.S. Women, uh, US Open, uh, U.S. Women's Open is my claim to fame, unquote. That would be the 2012 U.S. Women's Open at at, um, at Black Wolf Run that, w- run that was won by Na Young Choi. I think a lot of people who have never tried to qualify for anything don't understand the process so just take people back from square one you made the u.s women's open but it's not like you just waltzed in there as a regular lpga player so take us through your whole journey to get to black wolf run yeah so it's it's a pretty weird process um the ladies is different from the men for the ladies there's only one qualifier um it's, it's 36 holes one day if you make it, you're in. For the men, it's two qualifiers, a sectional and a regional. Or I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, you have to make the first Local one, and a sectional. The yeah. one. Local and sectional, yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Um, for the ladies, uh, it's kind of strategic, the way that people do it. You don't really just pick the one that's closest to you. Um, if there's more to it than that, I wouldn't and I didn't ever just pick the one in Florida because it was the one closest to me because the ones in Florida historically have the most competition. So me and my family would travel and we'd go places, we'd you know, see, okay, where are their qualifiers? Where do we know people that we can stay with? Where do we, you know, where can we make like a mini vacation out of it? You know, we'd, we'd sit there and we'd plan and we'd go, okay, we have to qualify for we're going to try to qualify for the U.S. Open, the U.S. Women's Am, the U.S. Girls Junior. Obviously, I was, you know, 18 at the time, so we were would sit down and kind of, like, plan all this stuff out. So, in that summer, it was, uh, I was just graduating from high school, and we had friends that lived in, right outside of D.C. in Bethesda, Maryland, and we said, okay, let's go to this one in Bethesda, that Woodmont Country Club. And it was between LPGA stops. They had two LPGA events up in that area, and it was the Monday between LPGA events. So the reason why we chose that one was because there were a lot of spots that they were giving out. So the field was big, and the bigger the field, obviously the more spots they give out. It's a certain percentage, like, I don't know, 8%, 10% or something like that. As 
for how many people they allow into the open. So we get there, we play a practice round, me and my dad are immediately like, shit, this course is hard. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. But no, 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 you can curse. That was immediately our thought. Like, this course is hard. And greens were fast. I mean, it was pure, like just a really pure course. So we get there the next day and I was never really a thir- I've never been a 36 hole in a day player. I mean, I was a high school player, AJGA player. You know, you never are in a situation where you have to play 36 holes. But my dad caddied. He always caddied for me. We get the course and, you know, I'm, I uh, played my first round. I didn't play with anybody like a significant, nobody from the tour. I just paired up with like juniors and regular amateurs like me. And, um, Shot 78 in my first round, did not play well, and I was mad. I was like, oh, my God, like, this is such a waste of time. You know, like, I don't even know why we're playing the second round. But obviously, if you know me, which, I mean, obviously none of anybody who's listening does, but I would never pull out. Like, obviously, I'm going to finish the second round. I'm not the kind of person who would just be like, oh, 78, I'm just going to give up. And as you finish the second round like you go through the clubhouse and you kind of make your make the turn from 18 holes and you see all the scores and we were kind of seeing the scores were like high so me and my dad you know kind of regrouped and we're like okay like we can still make something happen like this course is really freaking hard like pin placements the greens are rolling like 12 13 it was tough so get out there first hole on my second 18 I double and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> this is unreal. Keep going, keep going. I, you know, I'm just not hitting my approach shots well at all. Keep hitting in bunkers. Somehow keep making up and down. The last four holes, I end up birdieing three of them. Shoot 72. I ended up shooting 78, 72, and making it. That's how hard the course was. And I made it. Like, the, the people who shot one worse than me made it as well. So, it was an extremely difficult course, and it was a waiting game after that. It's kind of just how it works. You turn in your scorecard, and you sit there, and, you, you know, you're just watching all the scores come in, and they have a little arrow that they move on the scoreboard for as players come in, where the spots are going, and... It's anticipation. I just remember me and my parents were sitting under this tree, and we just all looked at each other and were like, we're going to the U.S. Open. And it was just this really cool moment of, you know, five hours ago, we had looked at each other and we were like, I'm playing like crap right now, but maybe we can make something happen. And we did. And it was just the coolest, the coolest experience for a little 18-year-old me. And, and yeah, it was, it was really surreal. Lori Kane, Haru Namura, Brittany Altamore, Ely Lee, you, Angela O, oh, and Kelly Schoen were the players who came out of that Woodmont Country Club qualifier on May 29th, 2012. There we go. You know more than I do. Uh, that's on Wikipedia. That's available to everybody. <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> yes, you are on Wikipedia. Congratulations. Wow, that's... I should put that on my resume. You really should. So 
when you and I were going to do this in May, I, I sent you a list of topics and one of them was your actual experience at the 2012 U.S. Women's Open. And you said, scratch that, let you tell the story about what your claim to fame is at the 2012 U.S. Women's Open. Yeah, so uh, it was at Black Wolf Run, which is in Kohler, Wisconsin. Um, we stayed with this awesome host family. It was a really great experience all around. I was, you know, like I said, I was 18 at the time. You arrive at the airport. They give you a, they give you the keys to a brand new Lexus SUV, and it's got player on the side. It's got the name of the tournament. You get in the car. It has zero miles on the car. It is just like. It's everything, like, the USGA just did the most at this event. I mean, they always do, but it's just, like, you're living your best life as a competitor <laughs> in this tournament. Yeah. We get there. We're playing. You know, my coach was there with us. It was me, my mom, my dad, um, my coach, and my brother. And we're playing practice rounds Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday comes around, and it's July 4th. And we're, I think we played the back nine first. So we're on my 17th hole of the day, which was number eight. And it's this par three, this long par three for me at the time. It was somewhere around like 170-ish yards. And it's got this big tree in the front that kind of covers the green. Like you have to hit it pretty high to to fly the tree and then land it on the green. But the green is pretty big. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain. But um, anyway, long story short, I made a hole-in-one at the practice round of the U.S. Open, and it was really freaking cool. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, talk about surreal. It was definitely my best golf memory, and it was awesome to have my coach there, my mom and dad there, and, and everything, and the crowd. There was actually a crowd that day, and it was awesome. I took pictures, like a bunch of little kids, signed a bunch of autographs, and a bunch of people were like, that's the first poem one I've ever witnessed, and nobody knew who I was, but it was awesome, and some of those people even ended up coming out and walking me the next day, um, which was just really special, and I ended up obviously not playing well in the open, but it was a really awesome experience. The whole thing, USDA just does an amazing job running those events. I mean, from player accommodations to um, just, the, just the way, like, player registration, you know, things like that is just impeccable. They do not miss a beat. Everything is just, they, they don't, anything that you could possibly think that they're like, oh, there's no way they thought of that. They definitely thought of it. And it's just, it was everything you could ever dream in a, in a week. I just wish that it wouldn't have ended. It was really, really cool. So that's definitely my claim to fame that I should add it to my resume for sure. That's <laughs> awesome. We're talking to Samantha Marks from Golf Channel. Here's my question. You're 18 years old. You've just made an ace. That means you got to buy all the drinks. You're at a major championship, 156 woman field, I imagine, either 144 or 156. It's also an LPGA event, right? So what did you do? Did anybody look at you and like, you got to pay drinks? And then did you look at your parents and like, we got to have a bar tab here? Like, how did you go about that? That was actually swept under the rug. We never did anything about that. There you me go. And my parents, me and my parents did go home and, you know, have a drink. There, see, there you go. That's, 
you got away with having to open a tab and you still celebrated. That's the best of both worlds. Yeah, it was, it was clutch. It was a clutch move. Um, you've had an interesting journey to Golf Channel. You were in local news up until what, last year, the year before? I was, yeah. So I played golf at, uh, at UNC, UNC Chapel Hill for two years, uh, transferred to Arkansas, played there for three years, and then kind of realized, uh, I don't really want to play golf as a career. Uh, and my degree was in TV broadcast journalism. And so I said to myself, okay, I guess this is what I'm gonna do because I don't really have any other option. So the day after graduation, I moved to Colorado Springs. I had a job there um, and I was a local news reporter, anchor out there. And it was awesome, it just wasn't it was a little too sad for me, you know, reporting on death, destruction, um, stuff like that. I wanted to stay within the same news cycle, but with golf, I didn't want to do, excuse me, I didn't want to do general sports either because I don't care about baseball, I don't care about hockey, I don't care about, I didn't want to be forced to care about things that I don't. Right. Um, so I decided to pursue jobs in golf but more on the digital side because that is the part of my previous job that I really did enjoy so um, I'm originally from Orlando grew up here and found a job at Golf Channel that is really fun and I work from home and it's great and I work with some awesome people and um, so yeah here I am I moved back in December and just learning the ropes as I go. It's awesome to be home, and yeah, that's kind of my uh, kind of my whole life story in ninety seconds. And, and you get to to talk Arkansas sports with uh, Lisa Cornwell. That's right. She sits right across from me. So there you go. That's got to be a lot of a lot of Arkansas. If there's any other SEC folks in your area, they must get sick of you guys talking Arkansas sports. A lot of woo-pick-suey going on. <laughs> We're talking to Samantha Marks here from uh, Golf Channel. Um, it's funny, when you transition out of local news into into golf and into the sports space, and, and obviously Golf Channel is a perfect fit for you, and Orlando's a perfect fit. Isn't it weird, though, that some of the... Like, you interview all these people who have gone through tragedy, and golf isn't life or death. Golf isn't... You know, sports isn't life or death. Sports isn't everything on the line every week. And yet you come into a week like last week with the Wyndham Championship. And some of those skills do kind of sort of cross over because it is people playing on their line. And I'm wondering if the journalism sensibilities you picked up in local news have kind of transferred over to this job. Because for a lot of these people, this is their career on the line. Yeah, um... It definitely did, I don't know how to explain this, but it, coming home every day, you know, when, when it was my job to knock on people's doors and ask them how they feel about their three-year-old dying in a car crash, it really makes you reevaluate things, yeah. you know? It is. It was an extremely humbling experience to have that job, and I don't regret a single minute of it. 
Um, it wasn't for me at the end of the day, and I and I realized that, and that's fine. But it was it taught me so much. And one of the things is exactly like you said. It's it's not life or death. Nothing is life or death. You know, like it's just not the way that I look at it. Like it's it's not that big of a deal. It's just not. Nothing is. Like anything that happens in your life, like it's just not that big of a deal. It's just not. And the way that I look at it, it, the way that I look at things is, if it's not gonna matter in five years, you should not be spending more than five minutes worrying about it. And that's what I say to myself over and over and over again, because I'm easily irritated, (laughs) easily irritated, but that job really did teach me a lot in that sense of, I don't like to look at things of, you know, I don't like it when people say, well, people have it worse than you, because I don't think that's really a fair thing to say. Um, because you can be going through something and it will feel like the worst thing in the world to you. So I don't think that it's fair. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that, I think that a lot of times we just, golf fans, golf journalists, oh, it's such a tragedy that he made a triple bogey. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not a tragedy. Right. That's the wrong word. And yeah, yes, it's people playing people for careers. Yes, it's people. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead, Samantha. No, no, no. I mean, you're right. It's just people just make such a big deal over over this stuff. Like, <laughs> I see it a lot in, like, fantasy sports. You know what I mean? Yes. The fantasy golf side of Twitter. It's unbelievable. Like, I, I do some fantasy golf stuff just for fun when I'm bored, you know, because I like to piss off money. And... <laughs> It's it's so funny. Like I'll see, I'll find myself like getting mad at Jordan Spieth for not playing well. Like I didn't know that that wasn't going to happen. And I'm like, okay, first of all, he doesn't care that I care that he played that. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah, it's not life or death. It's and I think in the matter. same and and I think in the same vein too, when it is somebody who loses their tour card you can make sure that the piece you're writing or editing or something you're doing on digital um, shows up as expressing the emotion of, hey, they lost their card, which sucks, but it's also not, you know, something horrendous. And I think that's where some of the sensibilities can really show up. For sure. I mean, you look at you look at something like the journey that Gary Woodland and his wife have been through together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's someone who's, who has a great outlook on life. And that's something that those guys who lost their card or are struggling right now, you know, on the bubble or were on the bubble to get in the playoffs, like they need to look at stories like that and just learn from inspiration like that and really just see that there's so much out there that's bigger than golf. And I think that it's so important and I think that a lot of people struggle with this. And I, I struggled with it in college of not having an identity that wasn't golf, you know? Because it's all, it's all that these people do. Like, what else do you like to do? What else, you know? I struggled with that um, in high school. Yeah, I, I, I hear you totally. It's tough for these people because it, it is their job. And I can't imagine, that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to do it because I didn't want my identity and my career and my financial stability to be tied into how I hit a ball around a field but yeah. it's just not you know what I mean like it just didn't seem fun to me and I don't want my performance to be you know I I wanted to be able to define myself in other ways and I think that 
if you if you can define yourself in other ways, no matter what, whether that's your job or, you know, if I have this, my job right now, if that's the only way I can define myself, then I'm going to be struggling because I'm going to have bad days at work. And if I can't find something else to enjoy myself in, then we're not going to be having a very good time. Amen. A- amen to that. Um, we went th- on a little bit of an inspirational tangent there. <laughs> Hey, teeing it up is is goes in a lot of places, Samantha. That's all I can say. Um, we got three more here for you, um, and these are going to be fun, upbeat questions uh, to end on. Number one, your pick right now to win the FedEx Cup is. Oh, you gotta go, Brooks, right? I, the only reason why I wouldn't go Brooks is I just don't know how the Tour Championship's going to play out with this new format. But if you spot him ten shots. For me, the question is who's behind him, and if it's somebody who can go for broke, and is a and is a Matthew Wolf type, I I, I think anybody can win it. But if not, I I agree with you. It's got to be Brooks. That's fair about the whole new tour championship thing. I don't I don't know how I feel about it yet, and I don't think that I know enough about it yet to make an educated decision. But I will go with Brooks because I will go with my heart. And he just steps up in the biggest spots, and I think $15 million will look mighty nice to him. Mighty, mighty nice to him. All right, all first-time guests on Teeing It Up get two random questions that they don't know what's coming. So my first question to you is, what golf superstitions do you have when you tee it up, if any? Oh, yes, I'm very superstitious. Um, I never use, uh, so you know when you get like a dozen balls, I never use the threes. Okay. Like ever, I have a whole, like I would always give them to my mom or my dad or whatever because I told myself growing up that I would three putt if I used them. I don't know. Wow. Okay. I like that. Uh, yeah. So sorry to everybody who just heard that and will now never use a three again. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, and then other than that, I, uh, I never use another tee. That's like on the on the tee box because I feel like if somebody else hit it bad with that tee and I don't know about it, then I'll hit it bad with that tee because there's bad tee mojo in the tee. Interesting. There's bad. Always use your own tee. Wow. There's bad energy in that. I like that. But sometimes you bad tee mojo. Yeah. But what if you forget to bring a tee to the tee box? Do you go back to your bag? You walk back and you get your own tee. Wow, that is strong. That is a strong superstition. It is, but I have only one superstition, which is I, I mark my ball with a dime and no other coin. But that's that's basically a it. Dime? For me. What, what? That's such like a small little dainty marker. I I think it was the fact that I just had a lot of dimes lying around. I, I think I used to buy something out of the vending machine that was like 90 cents, so I would put in a dollar and I would always get back a dime. And I think okay, I just... That's fair. And I think it just one day I just decided I'm going to play with it and go with it. By the way, you were talking about how good rounds happen when you don't expect it. My two best rounds in my life were when I was sick and when, and when I suffered, not heat stroke, but I was being impacted by really hot weather. So to your point, when you least expect it, sometimes your game pops up and you play well. Um, one of my one of my lowest rounds was when it was absolutely pouring rain. 
There you go. It just it, it just keeps going that way. And the final question for you, Samantha Marks, is what is your on-the-course go-to snack? So you're on the 12th tee or whatever, you're starving. What are you reaching for? Oh, some good old extra cheddar goldfish. Really? That's I've never had anybody I've never seen anybody eat goldfish on a golf course. Why why goldfish and why the extra cheddar? The plain goldfish are a little too dry for my taste. Extra cheddar are easy to throw in the bag, small, compact. You can easily eat a whole bag, no problem. Tastes really good. Good with water, good with soda. They don't mix bad with anything. Yeah. I, I Hey, those are all good, viable reasons. Or, like, I love, you know, if you're, like, making the turn, my go-to at the country club is, like, a grilled cheese and potato chips. Right. Well, that gets you some salt and some, um, mm-hmm. you know, just in case you're feeling the heat or whatever, it can help your body. Yeah. Uh, which sounds counterintuitive because yeah. potato chips is, is not like the ideal, of, you know, if you read any golf fitness stuff, it's not like the ideal snack. But sometimes you just need that when you're playing in really hot weather and you're living in one of the most humid golf climates in the country, Orlando, Florida. Exactly, but it's good stuff. I don't care what the fitness people say. Like, I'm going to eat some potato chips. <laughs> there you go. Samantha Marks uh, from Golf Channel. You can find your stuff on golfchannel.com. Some writing stuff. She edits some stuff. There's videos. Is there anything else I'm leaving out? I think that's about it. Wikipedia, apparently. Yes, and on Wikipedia. I'm going to send that to you. Please do. That's hilarious. So that you can screenshot it, send it to your whole family, and it's like, hey, I'm famous. They're going to crack up at that. That's Th- so funny. Thank you for uh, coming on Teeing It Up. I, I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yes, and thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. I uh, will see you next time.